James, talking about uh, growing up, uh, growing up and becoming what God would have for us to be. And uh, we began with chapter 1 of James last week, verses 1 through 12, and we looked at uh, uh, trials and how the trials worketh patience, and when patience is finished, it brings about perfection or spiritual maturity. Uh, and uh, tonight we're going to look at the other side of uh, temptation, if you would, or, or trials. There are certain trials that come from, from the outside, but there's temptation uh, that's an inside job. It comes from the inside, and even though the things that tempt us may be from the outside, the Bible says we're drawn away uh, through the lusts of our own heart. But um, I want you to, uh, we're going to start reading with verse 12 and read verses 12 through 18. And we're going to spend tonight focusing on these verses. And then next Wednesday we will finish up chapter 1. So it may take us uh, seven or eight weeks to finish the book of James. Uh, but I think if we can just slow down a little bit and uh, uh, chew on some of the principles in these passages that... Um, it can enlighten us and enable us, as Sister Shauna said a little bit ago, to cast down imagination and every evil thought that exalted itself against the will of God. So beginning in verse number 12, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Verse 15, But when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Verse 16, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. If it's good, it came from God. Amen. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat, us, uh, begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his Creatures, Jesus, we pray that you would help us tonight as we study the Word of God to be as clear, interesting, relevant as possible as we break the bread of life and feed those, Lord Jesus, who have come to be strengthened and to grow and mature in Christ Jesus. Our desire, Lord God, is that we wouldn't stay babies forever and that we wouldn't stay plateaued where we are, but that we would go on to perfection and become grown-up Christians, we pray. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. This uh, is an important passage in the Bible, in the book of James, as we go through the study on temptation. And I want to talk tonight uh, for your strength and for your development on the process of temptation and also some practical tips, biblical tips, on how to avoid temptation. I know this is just a short portion and. uh not a lot of scriptures or verses, but it is an important topic. And so we want to look at this brief te teaching from verse 12 to 18 from the book of James on temptation. And I also want to bring in some examples 
from uh, the temptation of Jesus Christ when he was tempted of Satan in the wilderness. And finally, also we'll look briefly at the temptation of Eve in the Garden of Eden. And from these stories of Scripture, we will uh, discover the process or the means or the way in which Satan tries to tempt people. And also from the book of James, we'll discover a very interesting process and approach to defeating temptation. How many wish you could have just a foolproof approach in a way to defeat temptation? Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen. So we're going to look at what the Bible has to say and uh, give you some advice as to how to overcome during times of temptation. Now, I know that uh, we are guilty sometimes as preachers, as uh, preachers and teachers, of just giving people the impression that dealing with temptation is as easy as just stop it, quit it, knock it off. But I want to I look a little deeper into temptation today because temptation is a reality that all of us experience. Everybody, if they're living and breathing, has had to, has to, and will have to deal with temptation. In fact, the Bible says that uh, we shouldn't think that it's strange or think that it's curious or think that it's unusual uh, because Jesus was tempted and all human beings are going to be tempted and uh, we, we know and are familiar uh, with, with the approach of temptation in our life all too well. We've lived however long you've lived, however long you've been a conscious, uh, from the time you were a young person, even a teenager, up until now. You've dealt with temptation. But in fact, um, all of us battle temptation with sin, this sin that doth so easily beset us. And if you think about it, temptation is really an odd thing. And uh, I've seen before, observed close and observed from a distance, uh, people who made bad decisions because of uh, uh, temptation. And, uh, and think about it. All of us have done things before that we know will ultimately hurt us. Why would we do that? I mean, if we just stop and think for a minute, we know it's going to hurt us and make us feel miserable and even hurts people around us. And then we repent. And then we repeat the same process all over again. And I think every one of you may know what I'm talking about in some area of your life. You have an area in which you struggle. And uh, I, I want to propose to you that the reason why we so often repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again is that we never really learned what's in the background behind every temptation. That there is... We, we, we deal with the, the, the face of temptation and we struggle and we, we stumble and we fall. But maybe we don't fully understand what's behind temptation. And uh, I want to tell you, it's not just a case where you can just say, well, stop, just quit, just stop doing it. But uh, when you begin to discover more about temptation, you can be armed and equipped to defeat temptation. And we've been told that we shouldn't sin. We've been told to avoid sin. We've been told to resist temptation, but many of us have never thought beyond the temptation that we're presently faced with. All we see is the moment before us, the desire, and then the stop sign that from, from our teaching or from the Word of God or from uh, parents or social expectations. Some things to remember when we're talking about temptation. The first thing you've got to remember is that there's more at stake when it comes to temptation than what's happening right now than instant gratification. More at stake than just the moment, uh, this particular moment of time. And uh, if, if you're not 
careful, you'll think of your temptation, whether it's a, a struggle with an Internet uh, addiction or uh, a relationship or some kind of a behavior or maybe a financial thing that you find yourself tempted and falling prey to over and over again. Whatever your temptation issue is, you'll, you'll think, uh, uh, think it's all about one moment and one decision and, and, and the same mistake that you're making, not realizing that there's far more at stake than just my willpower in one moment in time. So first understand it's not about just that moment. And secondly, uh, a great deal of our ability to resist temptation depends on our confidence in God. We have to, and I'll, and I'll explain that to you because that may seem like, well, it's trite. Yeah, obviously you've got to be able to trust in God. But I'll, under, I'll hopefully help you understand that better tonight. Uh, it, it depends on our confidence in the one who said he will make it worthwhile if we're obedient. Uh, in other words, if a person is convinced that the reward for resisting the temptation is going to be more valuable than the thing that's prohibited, it makes resisting so much easier. If you trust God, that if you obey God, then it's going to be so much better than if you don't. But if you're not convinced of that, temptation is more likely to prevail in your life. All right? That's why oftentimes we don't see the importance or the urgency of removing ourselves from tempting circumstances or behavior that doesn't bring pleasure to God, it's because we don't see the bigger picture of what's at stake and we don't correlate our temptation with our confidence in God. Hopefully we can help you do that tonight using the Word of God. And uh, so if we could learn to stop in our moments of temptation and consider that, that, number one, there's more at stake than this moment right here. And secondly... In this temptation, it's not just an issue of my self-control. It's an issue of whether I believe in God or have confidence in God. That by obeying, He'll make it up to me. Now, uh, we, we read in the book of James last week that a mature person is patient in trials and temptation. And there's testing on the outside, circumstances, things that we have to go through in life that are difficult. And there are also temptations on the inside, and we see them connected together here. First, it talks of trials, and tonight we're looking at uh, temptation. Last week it was trials, today it's temptation. And as I mentioned, temptation is an inside job. Don't say you're tempted of God, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. It comes from the inside. And uh, one thing that I've discovered is that temptation can often begin with trials on the outside, things that we're going through on the outside. Circumstances are difficult, so we may complain against God, question His love, and resist His will. And at that point, Satan provides us with an opportunity to escape the difficulty. That's where temptation... So it may start with a test and turn into temptation. We see this in the Bible. Uh, God put Abraham through a test in that when he called him from the land of his fathers, the Ur of the Chaldees, and challenged him to go to the promised land. When he got to the land of Canaan, guess what? He gets there, and all of a sudden there's a great famine. And in the midst of the famine, he's in the promised land, but there's a famine happening. God is testing him, preparing him for something great. But instead of endure the testing, Abraham submitted to the temptation to go down to Egypt. And he went down to Egypt out of obedience to the, outside the obedience uh, to God, and when he got down there, he was 
chastened or punished by God to get back to where God had called him to be. Some of you may not know that about uh, Abraham, but he was chastened. But, and then we find out that there were circumstances in his life that were a result of his disobedient sojourn to Egypt. Because when he was in Egypt, his wife picked up a handmaiden named Hagar. And uh, Hagar, the Egyptian, was the one that, uh, uh, that Sarah said, go in unto her and we can have a child because God hasn't fulfilled his promise yet. And uh, Ishmael was born. And though for, therefore, the, the, in essence, the, the problems in the Middle East were born uh, because, um, because Abraham let a test turn into a temptation. So with each test, there is an opportunity for temptation to stop trusting God or not believing uh, in God anymore. So God does not want us to yield to temptation. Can I get an amen? Does everybody believe that? But at the same time, God does not spare us the experience of temptation. He allows us to go through temptation. In fact, temptation is a, is a part of the process of us being able to mature and be perfect and be patient through the tests and patient through the temptations. And every person is tempted. Uh, we have thoughts that... Uh, go through our mind and um, uh, we are, are tempted to uh, to harbor those thoughts and think on those things but uh, specifically tonight there are three barriers that God has provided to us yielding to temptation and we're going to look at those three in James chapter 1 three things that if we would consider them when we're tempted would provide excellent barriers, God-given barriers to us yielding to temptation. The first one, number one, is we must consider God's judgment. Consider God's judgment. That's the first thing we'll look at in this passage. Consider God's judgment. That means to look ahead. So when you're in a momentary temptation, rather than thinking about now, learn how in the, in the, in the face of temptation to look ahead to consider God's judgment. So the second thing is to look around you. And that is number two, to consider God's goodness. And the, the passage here tells us we should, did you know that considering God's goodness is an excellent barrier to yielding to temptation? If you learn to consider God's goodness. And then the final one, once you look ahead and look around you, is look inside and consider God's divine nature within you. Consider that you have been born of the Spirit. And, and the conduct that you're tempted with is much below the dignity of someone born of the Spirit. So we'll look at each of these in a little bit of detail as we go through this passage. The first thing is kind of a negative approach, but it's a very important approach in these three barriers to yielding to temptation. Uh, verse 13 through 16, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, bringeth forth death. James is telling us, in essence, in this, these verses, look ahead and see where this temptation ends. Notice that there's a process and there's an end point that is not profitable for you. So the first thing is to consider the end. Consider the end result of temptation, which is, the Bible says, death. The wages of sin is death. 
So it, it starts out by saying, let no man say he's tempted of God. God does not tempt us. He may test us. The Bible said that there were certain people that he tested and those tests can turn into opportunities for temptation, but it's not God who offers temptation to us. Sometimes, oftentimes, a temptation is actually an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in the wrong way. To accomplish something that's not evil, but doing it out of the will of God and out of the direction of God. For instance, uh, if you're in, in school and you're getting ready to take a big test, isn't it appropriate to want to pass that test? That's a good thing, right? How many want to pass tests? I mean, you don't want to go to the DMV eight or nine times and take the same test over and over. You don't want to go to the DMV any more than you have to, I promise you that much. So it's, it's, it's not wrong to want to pass the test, but when you're tempted to cheat, you're, you're wanting to do a good thing in a wrong way, to, to accomplish a good end in an improper way. Uh, I can say, thanks be to God, that it's not a wrong thing to eat. I love to eat. But if I were to consider stealing food so that I could eat, I was tempting myself and taking a wrong approach to fulfilling an acceptable desire. And uh, let, let's consider the temptation of Jesus while he was in the wilderness. Uh, when Jesus was in the wilderness, I, I want you to notice in Mark chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, Mark chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Isn't that crazy? Look at that verse. I mean, that is really bizarre. Jesus was led up of the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. So God led him into the wilderness because the temptation was a part of his process, of his maturing. And so sometimes... We find ourselves in situations of tests and trials and even temptation that all of them God allows. God allows. Did you know that? Nothing happens in your life but what God allows. And so uh, he was tempted. And then verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Everybody say amen. This is the case. He was a human. Tempted in all points like as we are. He understood thirst and hunger. Verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. This is the first of three temptations. The three temptations. Uh, the first one turned the rocks to bread. The second one was uh, he challenged Jesus to leap from a building and trust God to catch him so that this display would prove to everyone that he was the Son of God. And the third one was, of course, he took him and showed him the kingdoms of the world and said, uh, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will surrender to you the dominion of the kingdoms of this world. Understand, Satan is the God of this world, the kingdoms of the world. So uh, we know that ultimately Jesus is going to prevail, amen, and be king of kings and lord of lords. But Satan tried to offer him a shortcut that was contradictory to the word of God. And uh, we know that, uh, um, uh, that uh, Jesus Christ's deity was going to be proved to the masses. But once again, Satan wanted uh, Jesus to presume on God to catch him, make a bad decision, jump off a building and presume that God's going to catch him. How many times do we find ourselves doing that? Oh, I know God's going to take care of me. I'll trust God. 
And uh, so these three temptations. But the first one that we mentioned, turning the rocks to bread, it's not a bad thing for someone who is hungry to eat bread. Seems like an innocent temptation. Hungry, yes. Son of God, yes. Miraculous power, yes. We'll turn the rocks into bread. He, he, uh, he would have been meeting a legitimate need. He would have been doing a good thing, satisfying the hunger, and who would have blamed him? But Jesus saw through and saw what was going on. And the issue was not, am I hungry and do I have the power to turn these stones to bread? The issue is bigger. It's do I have the power to trust my heavenly Father to supply the need or do I have to do it the devil's way? Can I trust God to take care? Can I trust God to in his time meet the need or am I going to sidestep God's will and do it the enemy's way? Amen. Now, we often see sin as an individual act, but we see here in James uh, chapters thir- uh, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 and 15 that God sees it as a process. James describes the process in four stages. The first stage in verse 14, it says, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. Everybody say the word lust. Lust is a word that means desire. Now, a lot of times when we think of lust, we think exclusively of uh, sexual temptation. But lust is not limited to that. Lust means any kind of desire. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, how many understand, I think everybody understands that normal desires were given to us by God. As human beings, we have the desire to eat. Thank God, because if I didn't have the desire to eat, I would perish. I have the desire to drink with thirst. This natural desire was given to me by God to keep the machine running. And we have these natural desires, even the desire for sexuality and sexual relations was given to us. As, uh, as mankind, and then we look in the animal kingdom, the various species, to procreate and to survive. So these natural desires, hunger and thirst, the need for sleep and sexuality, are all God-given, and they're not sinful of themselves. They're necessary for our survival. But we get into trouble when we want to satisfy these desires in ways that are outside of God's will. Amen. Stilling for food or gluttonous use of food. And, uh, uh, you know, we could recognize the difference between eating and gluttony. Eating is good. Gluttony is evil. Uh, It's a sin. Uh, Sleeping is good, but the Bible talks much against laziness. Sleeping is necessary. But uh, then there's laziness. And then, of course, we're thankful. The Bible says um, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. That means sexual relationships within marriage are honorable and right in the sight of God. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So there's a difference between fulfilling and satisfying it in God's way and rejecting God's way and fulfilling it and satisfying it. See, here's the deal. We cannot turn off desires. We have to learn to control them. These desires are a part of us, but they should be our servants, not our masters. And we can do this through Jesus Christ. But for the first step, just to understand, the Bible says it starts uh, that... uh, 
um, when he is tempted, he is drawn away of his own lust. So there is the, the desire element, and it comes from these natural, instinctive things that God put in us and are not evil things. But he said, Amen. And then the second step is from the same verse as deception. And uh, I want you to look at verse 14. Uh, two words there. Well, t- two phrases. The first one is drawn away. And the second one is enticed, drawn away and enticed. Now, if you uh, uh, were reading this from the original Greek and you understood the context of the times, uh, scholars believe that he's using two examples from uh, sporting, in other words, uh, fishing and hunting, to describe what happens in temptation. Uh, The word drawn away has to do with uh, uh, like the setting of a trap for an animal where there is a, a bear trap or a, uh, whether it's a trap that comes with a clamp or an open hole with brush put over it and then the, the, uh, um, the bait set there in the trap or over the trap that draws away the animal to their entrapment. And, and then the, the other word enticed, I found out something today in, in the uh, ancient Greek actually means to bait a hook, to to uh, uh, to uh, apply bait to a hook. So these two phrases are used to describe the second step of temptation. The first is our own lust. It comes, it's just innate in us. But then using these natural desires, Satan creates an entrapment or a, a hook. And he uses this to draw us away. And here's the deal. Temptation usually doesn't appear as temptation. It usually appears more alluring than it actually is. And, uh, you know, no animal would deliberately step into a trap. And no fish would bite at just a, a naked hook. You just throw it. I remember I would try that when I was a kid. I'd go fishing. I'd just throw the hook out in the water and... Like, having no luck. I've been fishing all day, and nobody's biting. They're not biting. Those fish aren't biting. And somebody said, we don't have any bait on the line. As a fish is not going to just grab a hold of a, of a, of a, of a hook. And, and usually an animal, unless he just happenstance or accidentally walks into a trap, or we step into a trap, he won't do it knowingly. But there is this enticement element. And temptation always carries some bait that appeals to our natural desires, something that appeals to our fleshly desires. And uh, one thing that's interesting, um, I don't know, how many of you have done any fishing before, like uh, uh, fishing with the, with the hook and so forth? Um, the, the same bait that's used to entice the animal, has two. It, it really fulfills two purposes if you do it right. Number one, it entices the animal... And number two, it either hides or takes their attention away from the hook. So it entices and it hides the hook. So the bait used to attract and hide the hook, that means the fish sees the thing that will satisfy the natural desire, but it doesn't see the thing that's going to bring eventual sorrow and punishment, if you would. So in temptation, the Bible says it's our own lusts, our own desires that started, that are natural, innate. But then Satan entices or draws us away 
by creating a situation where there is bait that is enticing and at the same time making us oblivious to the end result, to where the judgment will take us. And so the, the fish would never grab the bait if he knew about the hook. And the fish would never, or the, the, the animal would never walk into the trap or walk and, and take the bait if he knew about the trap. And, and uh, Lot, in, in the Bible, ended up losing his wife and ended up, in, in essence, losing his sons-in-law. His family was devastated. And uh, even his daughters, who had been, their thinking had been so perverted by his time in, in Sodom that uh, uh, we can talk because the kids are downstairs, that uh, his daughters entered into, they got him drunk and entered into incestual relationships with their father. So, I mean, what starts out as a pretty decent story about Lot, a wealthy man that's hanging out with his uncle and traveling, ends up with a man hiding in the cave, being taken advantage of by his own daughters, losing his wife. But how did it happen? It happened because when he looked out, he saw the well-watered plains of Sodom. And I guarantee you that if Lot had been able to look down the road and see where it was leading, he would not have pitched his tent toward Sodom. Amen? He, he never would have gone there. He saw the bait, but he didn't see the hook. He didn't see uh, where it was going to take him. And, and David, when he stepped out on the, on the porch and he observed Bathsheba, he definitely, I believe, would not have committed adultery if he could have seen ahead and seen that behind the bait there was a trap and there was a hook that, that, uh, were, that included tragic consequences in the end. And in David's case, they lost a baby. It was a sad day he mourned. A brave soldier named Uriah was killed in cold blood. And even David's own daughter, Tamar, was violated because of David's sin. But the bait keeps us from seeing the consequences of the sin. So the first thing is consider the judgment of God. Consider and understand that there is an end to this temptation. When Jesus was tempted, he always dealt with the temptation on the basis of the word of God. Because Jesus was intimately familiar with the word of God. Jesus said each time, he was tempted three times, and his three responses were, it is written. It is written. It is written. See, from the human point of view, I'm hungry. I got the power to turn rocks into bread. Sounds like a good plan. But Jesus knew the word of God too well to fall prey to the temptation. To take the bait, if you would, and to let the hook be sunk into the jaw. Seemed like a great idea, but not from God's point of view. And when you know the Word of God, you can recognize the bait and deal with it decisively. But it's important to be in the Word of God to know the Word of the Lord. Amen? The next step is, first of all, it's our own natural desire that draws us away. Secondly, it's the deception of the enemy, the deception of the bait hiding the hook or the judgment. And then the third step is disobedience. Verse 15, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. It bringeth forth sin. So what happens is temptation starts with our emotions, our desires, emotions. 
Everybody say emotions. Starts in the arena of our emotions. The soul or the real person is, is made up of three parts. You've got your emotions, you've got your intellect, and you've got your will. Everybody under, understand that, you know. That's the real you. This is the you. If uh, somebody asks me, well, who is Herman Ben? I could point and say, there he is right there. That's the man. And uh, so at that point, all you would know is that uh, Herman Ben is a man that's about five foot eleven, six foot tall, middle age, <laughs> svelte, thin, brownie points. But that's not Herman Ben. That's his body. That's his container. The real person is his mind or intellect, the thoughts, his emotions, the things that excite him, the things that anger him, the things that move him, and his will. That means what he decides to do, his actions. So the real person is your mind, will, and emotions. And we see here that it starts with desire, which is emotional. Emotions. And then it moves into deception, which is an intellectual thing in, in, in the brain. But the final step is that it moves into the area of our will. So desire conceives the method for taking the bait, and the will approves and acts on it. And uh, then we're hooked and, and trapped here. It says, when lust hath conceived, it's like uh, the, the, uh, um, it, it uses the example here of like a, a, a birth. When lust is conceived, it takes the bait and the will approves. So, uh, and one thing I want to mention is sometimes we disobey uh, because we presume on God. I just want to mention this quickly. And, and our way of thinking is, well, hey, God's a good God. He'll always come through for me. He's a God of grace and forgiveness. And so, not that we consciously think this, but this is how we act. I can kind of just flow haphazardly through life and... Because God's going to take care of me. And, and so someone will, will take actions uh, and they just assume God's going to fix it for them. M maybe marry an unsaved person, make bad financial choices, live a reckless life, and sin willfully because they know that God's going to forgive them. It's presumptuous. And, and, uh, and, and what it is is presuming that God's going to take care for, of you. And In other words, uh, you've come up with an irresponsible idea that you're going to to just do whatever and God is going to have to bail you out because the Bible says God will supply all your needs and God's faithful and God's rich in mercy. That's not faith, my brothers and sisters. That is presumptuous. And, uh, and most of the time it's just stupid. Because what, what I've seen is I've seen people act irresponsibly and it comes time to reap. And then they start praying. Oh, God. God, and we trust you. You're able. God, you're able to fix this situation. God, you're able to turn it around. God, you're able to. Oh, Lord. And then uh, come to, uh, to their pastor or some spiritual elder in their life and say, you know, this happened, and I'm believing God to turn it around. I did this, and I know it was wrong, but I'm believing God's going to turn it around. And sometimes, guess what? In God's grace and mercy, he does. But most of the time, guess what? He doesn't. Because the Bible says, what a man soweth, he shall also reap. And then I watch those same people turn around getting mad at God. 
So you did this, and you know that what you sow, you'll reap. You sowed some beans and got mad at God that it didn't come up corn. Amen? But I prayed. It doesn't matter. What you sow, you reap. And uh, so this is being presumptuous with God and assuming that God is going to bail you out and forgive you. And this happens oftentimes when, with... Uh, uh, I've, I've noticed sometimes that what happens in the physical sometimes will bleed over into the spiritual. And when you have a child that is spoiled and their parents always bail them out, what happens? It bleeds over into their spiritual life as well. And uh, you can see this from time to time. So uh, back to the idea of, of, uh, of our will. Christian living is a matter of our will, not our feelings. Did you hear that? It's a matter of what I do, not what I feel. And a, a, sign of a, a sign of immaturity, a mark of immaturity is operating based on feelings. Well, I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't, I, you know, I don't feel like going to prayer meeting. I don't feel like going to church. That's a, that's a mark of spiritual immaturity because you're acting based on feelings. And children act on the basis of feelings, while adults act on the basis of will. I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do, not because of how it feels. How many, can, we, can we agree on that? This is obvious in the physical realm. A child does what they feel like doing, and a sign of maturity is when someone starts to take responsibility and do the right thing. The same is true spiritually. Immature Christians often fall into temptation because feelings make the decisions instead of the will. And the more you exercise your will under the authority of God's word and say no to temptation, the more God can begin to take control of your life. Amen. Amen. And I know sometimes I feel like perhaps maybe we get out of balance a little bit as spirit-filled Pentecostals because of the emotional side of our experience with God that we operate so much on feelings and we don't understand that God can't operate in our life when we move on our feelings but God operates in our life when we move based on our will doing what we know is right amen praise God amen in other words let me just make it plain to you now you're going to be anointed of God if you learn to be a consistent prayer rather than a binge prayer. What's a binge prayer? That, that would be somebody who goes through times where they really feel like praying, so they pray a lot, and then they quit, but they have no discipline in their life because they're not operating in the power of the will. They're just operating by feeling. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. So... Uh, the more you exercise your will and say no to temptation, the more God will take control of your life. And finally, number four, the end of the process is, in verse 15, sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth uh, death. So sin will mature, judgment will come, and we'll all have to pay. We have to pay. Amen. If you want to play, you have to pay. Amen. So... Sometimes judgment is slow. The Bible says because judgment against an evil work is not executed speedily, then men's hearts are fully set in them to do evil. Because God doesn't just slap us. 
smack us down the moment we disobey then what happens and we assume that uh, it's okay but the deal is judgment's coming <laughs> it's coming it, it happens amen and uh, uh, so I know you know for instance some people this is not about the spiritual side this is just a physical thing to try to connect the dots here is uh, uh, people who practice unhealthy practices eat, eat unhealthy smoke uh, drink alcohol well, judgment for that comes eventually. For some people, they may be taken out in a DUI or a, a, a drunk driving situation or have a heart attack. But the problem is it doesn't matter if that didn't happen to you. If you consistently do that, the judgment in the physical body will come. And you can correlate that to the spiritual. And sometimes we think, well, I'm getting away with it. But the reality is the judgment is going to come. Amen? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. God's not mocked. What a man soweth, he will reap. And so if we believe God's word about judgment, we will be encouraged not to succumb to temptation. When we are tempted, we must consider that our future and in all likelihood other people's future are at stake. It's easy to observe this with other people. Other people are doing things, and you can recognize, hey, hey, other people's decisions are affecting this person's future. But it's so hard to see that in the mirror. And for some reason, it's, it's difficult to see beyond our own temptations and to see that to some degree our future is at stake. Whether it's in decisions we make in dating or financial decisions, friendship choices, entertainment decisions, each of these things have implications for our future. Amen? Amen. My God, help us. We must realize that the future of someone close to us will suffer when we succumb to temptation. In every decision to give in to temptation, I am damaging to some degree the tomorrow of someone close to me. Father, your decision to give in to temptation affects your kids. Husband, your decision to give in to temptation affects your wife's future. It's not about just you. Mother, your decision impacts your kids' worldview and their emotional and spiritual stability. Wife, your, your decision to break God's law and sin is affecting not only you, but your kids as well. Amen? So you've you got to stop for a minute and say, okay, it's not about just today, but it's about down the road. What I'm doing will affect my future, and what I'm doing will affect somebody else's future as well. And uh, many of you in your lives, you were scarred by someone in your life. And, uh, uh, and, and, and there's this thought of, well, it's just about me. This is my little habit. This is my decision. This is my life. But it affected them and you. For some reason, we can't see it when we get into the driver's seat in that moment because it's all about us and we don't stop and consider the other people that are affected by our decisions. So... The four steps, desire, deception, disobedience, and death. Desire, uh, we see this, the, the same process in Eve's temptation. I won't take time to go down that path. But uh, when, when faced with temptation, get your eyes off the bait and look ahead to see the consequences of sin. The judgment of God, even though this is the negative part of the Bible study, this is the first and very important uh, barrier to 
succumbing to temptation, the judgment of God, and consider that our future and the future of someone else is at stake. The Bible says it this way, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. It's the first step to making good choices. And that's what scares me about the world that we live in right now. It's what scares me even about the church. Fear of God. Fear of God. Believing that what the Bible says is true. And that we'll be judged not by the way we feel the world view is or not by what this preacher said or that preacher said, but the Word of God is the mirror. The Word of God is the ultimate authority. And, uh, uh, um, you know, I remember growing up with, uh, you know, other young people and, and then through the process and stage of life being around other young people. Uh, there was a, uh, a friend of mine who was a, uh, um, a pastor's son same type of church that my father pastored. And uh, I, I observed, he was kind of a spoiled young man, but then I observed him having no regard for the law of God in his life. And uh, uh, I thanked God that for, for whatever reason, I think it was because I was scared of my mom to be truthful. But there was a fear of God in me. And uh, this was my friend, and we would, I remember, I'll just tell you a funny story. We we went out one time and uh, we uh, uh, went on a trip to visit some girls in Mississippi. I remember that. And uh, but it was a school night, and so he 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 asked asked my mother. I asked me, "Can you go?" I said, "I don't think my mama let me have a school night." So uh, mom said, "You got to be back by 11." You listen to me, 11 o'clock, not a minute later. And uh, of course. He was the kind who was always able to fudge and bend the rules and push them with his mom and dad. Uh, that didn't work with my mom. So when we got back at 11.45, 11.50, um, it wasn't, let's just say it wasn't a pretty scene. And so he went home and cried to his mom and his mom, why were you so mean to him? But then, you know, in his life there were a lot of terrible, bad, unfortunate things that came ahead as he finally begin to reap thank god that god's grace and mercy is upon him and he's got a a a nice life now and a wonderful wife and uh two kids with this wife and and uh so god is blessed and he's he's uh, seeking to live for god today but the reality is is i observed that there was no fear of god he did not consider the judgment and and i guess i was you know it's just like this i remember my dad saying this he was raised very strict upbringing, taught that Christians didn't go into a movie theater. And uh, this was back when all the movies were real clean, you know. <laughs> but they, they were taught, well, this is an environment a Christian doesn't go into. So he had a friend who, uh, when he was 10, 11 years old, friend from school, said, hey, uh, want to come spend the night? So he, he spends the night with him. And uh, his parents allowed him to. And then he uh, gets over to their house, and, and he's like, hey, guess what? We're going over to the movie theater. Uh, tonight because they're showing this whatever show and uh, I remember my dad telling the story. He's like, okay, all right uh, Okay, and uh, so he he really didn't know what to do. He couldn't say anything, you know, say take me home or whatever but uh, uh, But but I, I he, he told the story of as a little ten-year-old boy sitting in that movie theater the whole time just quivering and thinking 
Oh, I hope Jesus doesn't come back while I'm in this place. I hope Jesus doesn't come back while I'm in this place. That's a little bit extreme. But you know what? The fear of God is healthy. Is healthy. It's healthy. You know, do you know that one of the days, these days, the trumpet will sound? Amen. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. Thank God for his grace and mercy. Thank God for his forgiveness. But don't let me go around life presuming that God's grace and mercy is covering my disobedience because Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Do you understand? But Lord, I I believed in you. I I did all the right things. I I had all these gifts of the Spirit. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So a fear of God. I'm praying in my girl's life that God would help us put a fear of God into their hearts. And those of you that are parents with little kids, I want you to pray the same thing for your family as well, for your kids as well. And, uh, uh, um, you know, somebody may say, well, it's not psychologically healthy. It's not the right thing. Fear is a bad motivator, da, 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 da. But I remember coming home and in the house and mom wasn't there and dad wasn't there and I couldn't find them anywhere and they're supposed to be home. And so I get on the phone and I call Sister June and her phone's ringing and ringing and nobody's picking up. And by then I'm crying because Jesus has come and left me behind because of whatever reason I had some hidden sin. And so I called the next number and, and, and I got an answer on the phone. I said, Sister Bennett, I'm so glad to hear your voice. Is this Richie? Yeah. This is Richie. I can't find my mom and dad. I, I, I was afraid the rapture happened, but since you're here, hopefully it hasn't, or we're both in trouble. <laughs> fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to partake. I didn't want to go there because maybe it was naive, but there was something in my heart, and I pray that it's here in my heart today because just like Big boys have big toys. Big grown-ups have big temptations. And there's got to be a fear of God in our heart. Amen. A fear of God in our heart that says if my conduct doesn't measure up to the Word of God, my experience is not going to take me anywhere. Praise the Lord. So that's the negative side. Man, I took too long. God help us. Well, letter B, I'm going to take a short amount of time. And letter C, I'm going to take the shortest amount of time. So we'll be done in 10 minutes here. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Secondly, the second barrier to succumbing to temptation after you consider God's judgment is number two, consider God's goodness. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning one of satan's favorite tricks and we see it even in in eden is to try to convince us that god is holding out on us that he really doesn't love us or care for us and if we don't take the temptation route then we'll never be satisfied or fulfilled just like with eve it was satan said he's withholding wisdom from you because he doesn't really love you with Jesus, if, if your father loved you, why, why are you hungry right now? So this is the, the approach of the enemy is to try to get us to question God's love. I'm telling you, you need to listen right now. Because being convinced of the goodness of God is a great barrier to temptation. 
But if you're wavering on the goodness of God, if you're not sure about the goodness of God, then you will be susceptible to temptation. But if you're convinced and you're saying, since God is good, I don't need anybody else or anything else to meet my needs. And I'd rather be hungry in the will of God than be full outside the will of God. Because I trust God and I believe he's got my best interest in heart. So if we begin to doubt God's goodness, we will be attracted to Satan's offers. And then our natural desires will reach out for his bait. Verse 17 says, God gives good gifts. Everything that's good in this world comes from God. God's gifts and his way of giving is good. God's giving is constant. It says it cometh. And, and the word there, it, it, properly translated, would, would say keep coming. It keeps coming. Even when we don't recognize it, the good gifts of the Lord keep coming. God's goodness is all around us. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a momentary thing. But it is a consistent, constant thing. How many are thankful for the goodness of God? Can anybody say you're thankful for the goodness of God you don't even recognize and sometimes you don't see it, you don't observe it, and you feel like maybe God's forgotten you and you feel like you're going through a trial and you feel like maybe there isn't a God and the devil's beating up on you, but God's goodness is coming even if you don't see it. God's goodness is good. He is a good God. His gifts are good, and they come down all the time. And God does not change. He's not going to do it one day and stop the next. God's goodness, and, and, and I've heard it said this way, God is good. Come on, God is good. God is good all the time. Amen. God is good. You guys are getting it. God is good. So that means God's good when I when I I, I get the pink slip at work. Is it is it really pink? I've never got one before, but you know what I'm talking about. That means you you don't have a job anymore. But God's good all the time, and God's good when my my kids act up, and God's good when 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 my feelings get hurt, and God's good when I go through temptation, and God's good when I go through a trial. God's good all the time, and sometimes I don't recognize His goodness. Uh, but if you want to if if you want to deal with temptation, You've got to remember God's goodness and consider God's goodness and consider the blessings of God that he's put in your pathway all the time. And if you'll trust him, he's going to take care of you. Eve, don't listen to the enemy that says, look, this is good for food. It's going to make you wise. Trust God. God loves you. God's good. God's going to take care of you. He's going to give you everything that you want, everything that you need. Amen. Amen. And also the desires of your heart. So when we're going through temptations and trials it's important to never question his love or his goodness because when we begin to question the love and the goodness of god we become vulnerable to temptation amen when you're going through a trial and you start to wonder whether god even knows your address anymore or god really loves you or god even cares about you then you become vulnerable for the temptation of the enemy uh, when, when David committed his sin and fell prey to temptation with Bathsheba and then had Uriah slain, everything was cool. Nobody knew about it. It was wrapped up, tied up, put up in a bow. But then God sent Nathan to confront David in Second Samuel chapter 12, uh, verse 7. It says, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. And I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house. 
and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if it had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in the sight? I want you to notice here the repetition. I gave you this. I gave you this. I provided for you this. I opened this door for you. I blessed you with this. I put this into your hands. I gave you all of these wonderful things. God was good to David, but David forgot God's goodness and took the bait. Amen. He forgot God's goodness and took the bait. So the first barrier is negative when we look at the judgment of God, but it's healthy. But the second barrier is positive when we consider the goodness of God. And while fear of God is a healthy attitude, it must be balanced with the love of God. Amen. God loves me. God cares for me. God has my best interests at heart and if i continue to hold on to and believe that amen so you can you can obey out of fear of chastening or punishment or you can obey because god's been so good to you in your past god's been so generous and you love him and you trust him and you want to obey him out of love praise god this this is the positive attitude that kept joseph from sinning in genesis chapter 39 verses 8 and 9 when Joseph had gone through a terrible trial in his life, and then he was tempted in the midst of the trial by a Potiphar's wife. Verse 8, it says, but he refused. Somebody say, he refused. He refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Huh. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph said, look at all that God has blessed me with. Look at all the provision that I have from the hands of God has been so good to me. So why would I, in light of God's goodness, do this wickedness and sin against God? It was the goodness of God that restrained him in the hour of of temptation. I want to tell you today that God's gifts are good and God's gifts are always better than Satan's bargains. Amen. Satan don't have no gifts because you got to pay for them later. Amen. But God's gifts are good. Praise the Lord. God's gifts are wonderful. Proverbs 10:22 says it this way, "The blessing of the Lord it maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it." It's a blessing. It's a blessing and there's no hook inside of it. It's a blessing. It's a blessing and there's no trap associated with it. It's a blessing. It's a blessing and the end result is not judgment. You can have a good time and party and drink it up and you'll have a hangover tomorrow. But if you get drunk on the Holy Ghost, you can get up with a smile on your face because the gifts of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord. Praise God. Addeth no sorrow with it. Hallelujah. Is there anybody excited today? Because that through the trials of life, through the difficulties, when you trust God, when you obey God, life's not going to be perfect. Praise God. But His gifts have no sorrow associated with it. No end game of judgment attached to it. God's saying, in essence, I understand your needs. I understand your desires. I made you. I understand your desires for companionship. 
your desires for sex, your desires for security, your desires for self-worth. Don't forget, I'm aware. God's saying, I know what's going on. I know how many hairs you have on your head. And every time you're tempted to bend, break, or ignore the rules, don't forget what's really happened is you're saying, God, I don't trust you. I know you made me, but I don't think you really understand me. I don't think you'll ever change this situation. I don't think he'll ever change. I don't think she'll ever change. I don't think I'll ever change. I don't think I'll get what I need. I don't trust you because as long as I stay under your control, I'm going to perish. Amen. We've got to step back when presented with temptation and say, you're not going to have my faith because not only is your future at stake and not only is your loved one's future at stake with temptation, but your faith is at stake as well. And we step back and say, no, I believe God's good. I believe the word of God is true. I believe God's going to take care of me. And temptation, you want me to take a step back and look God in the face and say, I don't trust you enough to come through for me. God just doesn't care enough. And God, you're not dependable enough. But I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, devil, you're not going to have my faith. Amen. Because I understand that when I stop trusting, I'll stop obeying. And when I stop obeying, it's a matter of time until I stop believing with me stop trusting first i'm not trusting i'm not leaning on the everlasting arms i don't believe the arms are there anymore i believe they're gonna leave me like this pulpit is struggling to survive remember the old song leaning on jesus i kind of had a funny visual image of somebody just leaning over but i understand now trusting god i don't know where this is leading but I'm leaning on you, Jesus. I'm not going to fall prey and get involved in disobedience and do my own thing. But I'm going to lean on you, Jesus. I'm going to trust you. Because the moment I stop trusting, then I stop obeying. Are you with me? I stop obeying God. And then ultimately, when, 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 when that is conceived, if you would, I don't believe him anymore. So my faith is gone. And your faith is your most precious commodity. Amen? So to keep your faith, keep obeying. To keep obeying, keep trusting in God, that he's a good God, that he cares for you, and that he'll take care of you. Praise God. Next time you're tempted, meditate on the goodness of God in your life. Amen? Meditate on the fact that God has blessed you with so many wonderful things. And remember, that's why uh, gratitude is so important. You've got to have the right attitude. Because if you're always upset or resentful about what you don't have you open yourself up to temptation because you're not being thankful that's why the bible says in everything give thanks for this is the will of god because if i stay thankful i'm keeping in a frame of mind how good of a god i have but as soon as i become whiny or resentful then i open myself up to temptation of not trusting not obeying and not believing the final consideration You've looked ahead, you've looked around and seen the blessings of God. The last thing is to look within and recognize the divine nature. Verse 18, of his own will begat us. Begotten means to give birth to. With the word of truth, we were born when the spirit came together with the word of God. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the final consideration of the final barrier to yielding to temptation is, first of all, considering the judgment with the fear of God. Secondly, considering the goodness of God. And then thirdly, is considering the divine nature within us as 
born-again, spirit-filled individuals. The new birth was not a birth of the flesh, but a birth from above of the spirit. We share God's divine nature, and it is beneath our dignity to accept Satan's bait. The new birth includes God's law being written in our hearts. See, when, we, when we're faced with temptation, something's going to happen. Either our old nature is going to take over or our new nature. Either the old man, Adam, or the new man, Christ Jesus, is going to take over. And you've got to recognize that if the old nature takes over, you're going to fail. When I face temptation, if the old nature takes over, I'm going to fail. But if I yield to the new nature, it's going to succeed. I mean, this can be in big and small ways. If you have a temper problem, you're going to be tempted. And what's going to happen? Who's going to come to the door? The old Adam or the new Jesus? The old nature or the new nature? The firstborn nature or the born-again nature? God always showed deference and preference to the second-born. Amen? The born-again. One uh, Sunday school child said, said it this way. There are two men that live in my heart. The old Adam and Jesus. When temptation knocks, if Adam answers, I sin. That's why when temptation knocks, I send Jesus to the door to answer because he always wins. Amen? Praise God. But our new nature, in order to be victorious, must be fed the Word of God daily. You've got to be strong for battle. Amen? It's written in Matthew 4, 4. It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If I want to be victorious, I've got to be born of the Spirit. I've got to let my new nature reign and rule. And I've got to feed it the Word of God. And I promise you, if you don't want to read the Bible, if you've lost your appetite for the Bible, and if you don't want to pray, then you've probably got the wrong man leading. Amen? You got the wrong man in the saddle. You got the wrong man in the driver's seat. The old Adam's taking over. Come on. You honest with me right now? You know what I'm talking about. You can come to church and do the hula hala hula. But when it comes time to sit down and pray, whatever that meant. It felt good though. Whenever it comes down, comes time to get in your prayer closet or come to prayer meeting and get down and talk to God, you shy away from it because you know you're disobedient and you know the wrong man's ruling. Amen? And you'll have a little battle there. That's why sometimes it's hard to fight because you've got to get that man out of the driver's seat. But if you want to walk in victory and live in victory, it's a daily thing. Get in the Word of God. 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 Get in the Word of God every day, every day, every day. Let the Word of God be your daily bread. Man shall not live by bread alone. But by the word of God. Amen. And so we can come up with all the excuses we want. But when we sin, we only have ourselves to blame. And God erected these three barriers to keep us from sin. These three barriers. You can ignore them. You can say, well, that was weird. So we'll talk to you later. Peace out. Or you can say, well, this is what the Bible says. If I will consider the end. Recognize judgment when I'm faced with temptation. I'll stop, pull back, and say, this is not just about me, and it's not just about today. This is about my future. This is about people I love. This is about my faith. And if, and if I'll then stop and think about the goodness of God, God's been good to me. He, he's taken care of me. and He's got a lot of blessings for me. and he'll, he'll give me what I desire. He will take care of me. 
And then finally, recognize the divine nature that's in us that gives us power to live over sin. These are some practical ways to defeat temptation and live and overcoming life in this world. Let's stand together. Praise God. Now, next week, uh, as we uh, finish out chapter 1, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting passage of Scripture uh, where it talks about being real and uh, uh, being sincere and getting